Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marchalina. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? Hey, Joe. How about you? Uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. It's uh, it's dark and it's cold, uh, and I guess we've uh, we've officially hit November now. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's night and day from the games that we had this weekend, that's yeah. for sure. No kidding. I, I, I put all my shorts away today. I'm not happy. Uh, well, you can send us uh, questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at Sports, And you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. And just a, uh, a quick update uh, on, on what that means, uh, the football season, because we are going to go uh, a little bit longer than the actual season. Of course, uh, we've got... Um, you know, you're listening to us now, including that we'll say four more shows. So through the first week of December, that first Tuesday will be our, our final show, uh, which we'll use to kind of wrap up the season as a whole and, and, and cover any final thoughts, uh, that we have. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm glad we're going to do that. Cause I always, you know, it, it it's kind of sad to wrap these up and and if any any way that we can kind of extend it i i will uh i will take yeah no i agree i, I also think it's kind of cool to reflect back you know we you go week to week and you're sort of locked in on what happened last week and you know a little bit of a preview for what might be coming up the following week but it's uh it's it's a good opportunity to look back on the thing as one big story and, and talk a little bit about it so i always enjoy doing that one we'll have to make a list of uh of like things we missed or um oh god <laughs> I, or we we may not have enough time to do that in one show <laughs> right all right now uh before we get started uh let's take a moment to tell you about our sponsor the presenting sponsor for the ninth state sports show is roger howe of the bean group the real estate market has cooled just like the new england fall weather interest rates have risen dramatically the last few months and there could be more increases in the future Many experts say we may never return to those historical low rates we've had over the last few years. Now is traditionally a slow time in real estate, heading into the holidays and winter. It's time to plan ahead for 2023. Take the time now to contact Roger Howe from The Bean Group. Whether you are a buyer or a seller, let Roger's many years of experience guide you with a plan on what your next step should be when the market heats back up. He knows your local market. Contact Roger at 800-450-7784 or 603-247-1583, or email him at roger.how at beangroup.com. All right, well, this week we are going to start uh, with running down the scores from this past weekend. Uh, of course, in Division One, we had the quarterfinals. Uh, had a pair of games on Friday. We had uh, number four Pinkerton knocking off number five Bishop Girton, 14-12. to 12. Uh, and then the other Friday night game, um, you know, the, the Bedford Bulldogs continue to be the uh, – the surprise of the, I guess, the whole playoffs. Number ten seed going to number two Nashua North and knocking them off seven to nothing. Uh, I kind of joked on Twitter, or I, I meant it to be a joke. I don't know if anyone thought it was, but uh, first time the number ten seed has made the semifinals, which I'm not sure if there's ever been a number ten seed in the football playoffs before. So, uh, right, um, <laughs> of course that would be the case. Uh, and then the other two games on Saturday, you had number one Londonderry beating number eight Merrimack twenty-one to seven. And uh, number six, Timberlane, coming back late with a 29-28 win over number three, Exeter. So that sets up our Division I semifinals. We're going to have another Friday night game with Timberlane hosting Bedford Friday night at 7. And then in the other game, uh, you're gonna ha on Saturday, you're going to have uh, what I imagine will be another crazy crowd. Uh, Pinkerton going to Londonderry for a 1 o'clock Saturday kickoff. Um, Mac... Macplac in the playoffs is uh, is sure is something. Uh, I, wouldn't you agree? Uh yeah. This is this <laughs> is going to be a big one. Uh, like you said, big crowd, crazy crowd. Uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but that that might be a uh, a coveted destination this weekend. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, one o'clock kickoff, so probably show up at nine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In Division Two, uh, it was the semifinals this past weekend, and uh, you had uh, number two Pelham knocking off number three Bow, twenty-eight to seven. So Pelham is back in the finals uh, for the third year in a row, 
first time in Division Two. Uh, they've been in. They've won Division Three the previous two years. So another championship game for the Pythons. They'll be playing number four Sauhegan, which also had a had to come back uh, from 14 points down, just like Timberlane knocked off number one seed Guilford Belmont uh, by the same score. In fact, 29-28. Uh, so Sauhegan and Pelham will meet in the D2 championship game, which will be Saturday, uh, 1 o'clock kickoff at Bedford. Uh, and, of course, um, these are what we have for start times right now. Um, you know, it, it, I think those are probably going to be aren't going to change, but you never know with the weather. We thought the same thing last week, and, and both Friday games got moved up because of the weather. So uh, be sure to check with your, your schools or, or – uh, I'll try to update uh, the page on nhhighschoolsports.com as much as I can, or as quickly as I can. So keep an eye out there as well. Uh, but those games are coming up this weekend. Uh, we had two championship games as well, and uh, that's where we're going to start. Um, in Division Three, you had Campbell, uh, number three Campbell, getting a little bit of revenge on uh, Trinity. They lost to during the regular season. That was a 16-14 win for the Cougars. They win their third. Uh, championship in program history, first time since 2017. And then in Division Four, Summersworth goes back-to-back, -back, gets a 14-6 win over Newport in the D4 championship game, you know, which sounded like it was a, a – I mean, both of those games, um, you know, obviously you and I were at the Division Three game uh, that was played over at Sauhegan. Um, that was a great one that came right down to the end. And uh, – you know, I know Summersworth had a two-touchdown lead for, for most of that second half, uh, but, you know, the way they had played this year, certainly um, a much closer game than we might have expected in that one. So congrats to the Cougars and the Hilltoppers. We're going to talk about those games uh, in a moment. Uh, but, Mike, before we get started, any uh, any thoughts from uh, from just kind of those um, general scores? Any Anything kind of stand out to you? Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is, do you re do you remember a playoff weekend in recent memory where all the games were this competitive? Uh, you know, not not really. Uh, no, I mean the only one that you'd say was, uh, you know, was was a I guess a blowout. I wouldn't even call it that. Was that Pelham and Bow game? Um, you know, that Pelham won by three scores. But I mean that right. one. I mean that's still a you know it's not a. a, a I, I you you would say that I don't think that was a blowout. I wouldn't call it that. It didn't get to running time or anything like that, you know. And and the the turnaround from you know the first week where we were joking that um, you know we expected there to be more close games and there and there weren't, um, I that completely got flipped on its head this week, uh, again because even the games that were by a couple of scores were closer than I think you would you would expect them to be. So, just an exciting week of football and. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that we're going to get – we only got three games coming up this weekend, but I, I think there's potential to, to have three really good games. Yeah, I agree. Uh, hopefully hopefully the momentum and the, and the um, whatever you want to call it, sort of the atmosphere of this past weekend continues on because, man, what a weekend for football. Absolutely. And, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully the weather does cooperate again. I don't think we're – we're not, definitely not getting another 70-degree day uh, on Friday or Saturday. Um, but this coming Saturday looks like it's going to be cold. Uh, I mean, at least relative to, to what we've been, you know, experiencing, um, maybe a, up to a 35 degree difference, uh, from the week before. So, uh, break out your winter coats, uh, your gloves, your hats, whatever you, whatever you wear. Uh, I, I'm going to be doing that, getting ready for Saturday. But, um, before we do that, uh, let's start with the Division Three championship game. Again, you and I were both there over at Sauhegan to watch Campbell get a 16-14 win over Trinity in um, in a game that I just, like, it was, uh, you know, there were times I would say it was tough to watch. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you'd certainly like the, um, the three yards and a cloud of dust type of offense, this was, uh, was your game. Um. You know, I, I, but I was, I was, uh, I said afterwards, I, I don't think I've ever seen a game like this where you had a team in Campbell that had over 39 minutes of possession. Uh, you know, they, I had them 39.06 with the ball to Trinity's 8.36. Uh, Campbell ran 69 plays to, to, to Trinity's 28. And actually, 
Trinity had a better uh, yards per play than than Campbell did. Campbell had a, just over four yards, while Trinity had uh, 5.4 yards per play. They just only ran 28 of them. Um, right. I, I mean, have you seen that? Uh, do you remember seeing anything ever like that? No. I, I mean, you could probably think back to a few times where – uh, with Exeter or some of those other teams where, where there was probably a stat line that was like that um, just because they, you know, they've traditionally run more of a ball control type offense, but not recently. No, um, it was, it was actually, it was a very clear game plan from Campbell's point of view. And uh, it, it may not have been the most exciting thing to watch, but man, it got the job done. Absolutely. You know, looking at, um, you know, kind of the the drive charts that I, I I put down here too. Trinity had um had only one drive that was longer than two minutes, uh, and that was on their their touchdown drive in the second half, uh, where they scored on a a fifty four yard run, um, and Campbell their shortest drive, um, was the one at the end of the game where it was the the final um two minutes forty se- uh, forty two seconds. Um, yeah. Know, other than that, all of their drives were six minutes or more. Yeah, and for Campbell, it really was the Scott Hirschberger show. Oh, absolutely. Um, I forget what you had him for. Was it forty-three carries? 40, Forty-five carries, two hundred and eight yards, two touchdowns, and two two-point conversions. Yeah, yeah, and there there wasn't a whole lot else. I mean, and again, you could say, hey, that may not be the most exciting thing to watch, but at the end of the day. You know, you're you're Campbell. You've you've already lost to Trinity. It's the championship game. You know, you've got a workhorse in Scott Hershberger. Uh, you you know, you, you're probably not too worried about entertaining people. You're worried about <laughs> winning that championship. Yeah. And you know, that's exactly what they came out and did. I, I was, you know, I. It's funny because talking about the the styles of the two teams a little bit, it was very clear that Campbell was going to be patient and stick to that plan, right? I mean, even the play selection, they pretty much ran, you know, sort of like a a single wing direct snap power to Hirschberger off the left side primarily, right? Like they weren't even mixing it up like, oh, we're going to go right and left with it, right? They, They ran that play to their left, and then they had like a little counter off of it where he would basically just stutter step like he was going to the right, but all the blocking was coming, I mean, uh, going to the left, but all the blocking was coming back to the right. And that was like their counter play, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's really what they rolled with. They had a couple of other things that they sprinkled in, but I would I would guess as a, just sitting there watching it as a fan, not breaking film down or anything, I bet you 75 to 80% of their play calls were just those two plays. Hey, yeah, and they, you're Power right, they... to the left and counter off of it to the right. That was it. Yeah, they they sprinkled in a couple handoffs to uh, some other guys here and there. Uh, you know, Logan Daigle had the most, uh, thirteen carries for fifty-two yards. Uh, Jackson yep. Canale had a couple carries, threw a couple passes, but they didn't complete any. Uh, he was over four passing. Um, you know, and a couple of those came in in a key spot too. You know, late in the first half, where where Campbell's got an eight nothing lead, they've been. Uh, you know, again, dominant, dominant in time of possession. It looked like they could have run out the clock of, on the half. And they, uh, they tried to throw for a first down on, on fourth down and ended up not getting it. And, uh, and Trinity scored a few, a few plays later after a, uh, you know, an, an option pass um, got them down inside the 20. Uh, and they got a touchdown on a run by uh, Jack Service. And, um, you know, instead of being up 8 nothing at halftime, they're up there. It's, it's an 8-8 game. And Trinity's getting the kickoff to start the second half, so that could have been a huge momentum swing there. And instead, Trinity goes three and out. Campbell goes sixty-one yards on thirteen plays, uh, eats up seven over seven minutes of the clock, and and Hirschberger scores uh, on a touchdown run and another conversion. It's sixteen to eight. So I mean, that was a that was quite a swing there. I thought. Uh, yeah. You know, could have been disastrous for Campbell, and it ends up not being. They're able to to avoid anything um, too bad happening there. Yeah, I I thought you know it was interesting. I, I was I was trying to get a try to get a feel for the games, right? What's going on in the in the kids' minds and the players' minds and things like that. And there were a couple things that struck me about Trinity, who was obviously extremely dominant all year. Um, one was that I don't. I'm sure you noticed, although I was kind of elevated in the stands. You were down on the sidelines. 
there was a really nasty crosswind, and it was relentless at that field. Uh-huh. And it did make me wonder whether some of Trinity's game plan was to come in and be a little bit more balanced and, and try to throw the ball around a little bit with service and some of those uh, really good athletes they have. Um, and and that it, it sort of squashed that part of the game plan a little bit because it did feel like, again, I'm just talking about a feel now, right? Not, not looking at data or film or anything, but it felt like Trinity was just off balance on offense for for most of that game. Like, like they were just a little stagnant, you know, like there was something a little off. And I, and I couldn't help but wonder whether maybe their plan was to come in and be a little bit more balanced. Um, and then they felt like because of the, the conditions on the field that they weren't able to do that. Um, again, speculation. Yeah, um, there was there was definitely, a, you know, the wind was definitely down at field level. But, yeah, it, 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 it didn't feel at any point that it was so maybe a little higher up, um, you know, which, which does affect the passing game because – you know the ball's got to be elevated, um, but you know I I think too you know you 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 say that they yeah they looked a little out of sorts but I mean they never really had a chance to get into rhythm you know I mean they're no you know their their longest drive I think was um, yeah six plays um, you know so they, they again they didn't have the ball much um, they only had three first downs um, I think four first downs and one was on a penalty. They just and I think as you get deeper into the game, you might you might start to panic a little bit, uh, right? And, and think you have to get it all on one play. So I mean, there's you know that that certainly goes into effect too. I, I think uh, just kind of messes with. Yeah, you. and their last touchdown was on a big strike. I don't remember who uh, yeah, was, who ran the ball. It was it was like a 48 yard gain down the right hand side, the, uh, or you probably have the stats on it. But <laughs> the freshman uh, Anthony uh, Tomaso, I I. Did a better job with that last week, uh, but yeah, he had a fifty-four yard touchdown run um, that got yeah. them within sixteen fourteen, and then and it was actually Hirschberger who stepped up and stopped service on the uh, the two point conversion to keep it a a two point Campbell lead. Uh, I got I got one other stat for you that I want to throw at you, Mike, uh, from this game. Uh, so I had Campbell on third down; uh, they were six of seventeen on third down. That doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> but, and but. I know what the but is because I made the same observation. <laughs> On fourth down, they were 8 of 11. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they never punted. No, um, yeah, you're right. They didn't. No, they, you're right. They did not punt. I don't think they liked to punt. In, in fact, they hardly relied on the making game at all. They went for two both uh, yep. times, There's, and, they and their kickoffs kick were all yeah. sort of like squibby-type kicks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, they do not like to put the foot in uh, in football. No, no, definitely not. But again, right, it, it all worked. And, um, you, you know, I think the other observation that I made was, and again, it's all speculation, but I also wonder whether Trinity was thrown off a little bit. It, it was really a taste of, well, it was really two things for their defense, right? You're, you're on the field having that type of offense pounded at you for almost 70 plays. Um and so that's going to take its toll a little bit, although Trinity was subbing liberally on their yeah, defensive yeah. line. I mean, they had like six guys that they were, you know, maybe they had three down linemen in their scheme. They were just trading those guys in and out to keep them fresh, which I, I think was a very good um, strategy. They, uh, uh, but they, you could sense some frustration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The Trinity defense where it was just a constant, like you just said about the stats, it was a constant four-down game. Yeah. They, and, um, you know, you have make a great stop on third down, and you say, hey, we're going to get off the field. This is great. No, they're going for it on, you know, fourth and four. And, by the way, they're picking up six yards. That that gets frustrating after a while. Yeah. They actually – they were calling them out. Um, you know, I think they had three groups of three linemen because you would hear them on the sidelines yell, you know, for the three amigos and then the three musketeers and, and the three bears. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that's. So they had yeah. personnel packages they were trading in. Yeah, I didn't. I it took me a, f- a minute to to notice that the first time they yelled for the three musketeers, I was waiting for someone to yell. Uh, was it all for one and one for all? <laughs> right. Um, any other any other thoughts uh, about this game before we uh, before we move on? No, like I said, it was just one of many extremely well played. Yeah. Um, you know really good games, right? Not a blowout, not a, um, 
you know, something that was over, you know, early in the third quarter or something, it, it, it took both teams scratching and clawing in their own way. Um, and, you know, hats off to Campbell. I, I think it's a heck of a way to end the season with, with uh, sort of a little bit of a revenge tour. Right. Um, against two teams that the, the, I think the only two teams that they had faltered to this season. Yep. The only, yeah, only and, two losses. Uh, to, yeah, and to come out on top, to have that kind of performance from, from Scott Hirschberger uh, when it mattered most, right? I mean, hey, you're going to go out there, you're going to carry the ball 45 times, and we're not going to do anything fancy. We're just going to pound you right at them. That, that, that takes a lot of tenacity, a lot of endurance, and uh, um, it's a great win for that program. And uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, um, you know, Certainly, a game that we could see a repeat of next year. With with you look at Trinity's roster, and they had um, they had just three seniors this year, and a ton of freshmen and sophomores. Uh, Campbell with a few more seniors, um, you know, and some key ones. But certainly, you know, some of those guys, um, you know, that played key roles for them coming back, including Hirschberger, uh, Daigle. We mentioned him too. Uh, Evan Saint Pierre up front. Um, you know, he was a junior. Uh, Hirschberger's brother, uh, Nick, uh, also coming back. Uh, he yeah, had a big who had play. a good game on yeah, defense, yeah, by he the did. way. He uh, recovered the fumble um, on Trinity's last drive, too. Um, so, you know, potentially a, 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 a game we could see again um, a year from now, certainly. Um, yeah, yeah. And both those teams had outstanding lines, too. And if a, if a core group of those guys are back, along with some of those um, – you know, ball carrier type positions. It's it's going to be uh, it's it's going to be tough to say you might see anything, but well, in the uh, in the Division Four game, uh, we saw uh, another kind of low scoring game. I, I guess you'd, you'd well, you certainly would say it's only only twenty points scored uh, in that one. You get Summersworth with a uh, a fourteen to ten win over um, over Newport. Again, the the Hilltoppers' second consecutive title. Um, you know, I think the the second time in program history they've done that. They they did that before in '96 uh, and '97 uh, when uh, current head coach Jeremy Lambert was a player on the team, and one of his assistants, uh, Jim Keys, was the head coach. So uh, you know, familiar, a little bit of a familiar tune for them. And um, you know, you had. Uh, Summersworth come out and take a seven nothing lead in the first half on a, a twenty four yard touchdown by Calvin Lambert, and then uh, the second half Jeff DeCorn hits Dante uh, Guillory with a nineteen yard pass for a touchdown, fourteen nothing, and then Newport scores on a a touchdown run by Kyle Ashley on the last play of the game, in uh, what was the uh, the first and only touchdown that Summersworth's uh, first string defense gave up all year. Um, so fourteen six yeah. is your final, but kind of a a fourteen nothing game uh, for most of the way through in that second half, and um, yeah, one that was probably it sounds like was a great one to watch too. Yeah, I, I think it, in a similar story, uh, to, to particularly to what we talked about last week with um, now reigning champion Campbell and their turnaround against Monadnock. This wasn't a close game in the regular season. No, um, we expected it to be, and and it just wasn't. And it, and so it had you it had you questioning a little bit what this game was going to be like, and if it would if it would be a repeat, right? Certainly Newport had been dominant the rest of the against the rest of their opponents, but not quite the level of dominance that Summersworth had shown. But you know, I think it's a great story that that it it was a it was a good hard fought battle that. Uh, Obviously, Newport, you know, sort of had that never say die attitude, right? You're you're down two scores with, you know, seconds left. You're certainly not going to say, hey, we're going to, you know, we're we're going to we still have a chance at this, right? I mean, you you scored a touchdown in the final seconds. Um, I think that says something in terms of heart and character, right? It, it takes a lot to be able to bury the emotion of disappointment and, you know, hey, this is our last game and got out one more drive, punch it in one more time, you know? So to me, I think that's a great story. Um, and the other one that I, I don't know whether you knew or not, but uh, Carter Polari, who'd been yeah. out for most of the season um, with a broken arm, 
Uh, in fact, I don't think he played a game. No, was cleared to play in this game for Newport on Friday. And so suited up for the first time this season on Friday and ended up carrying the ball uh, for 54 yards in the game. Yeah, so, I, I did see that. That That's a great story. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, so for, for from Newport's perspective, um, tough way to end the season, probably not the way you wanted to, but again, great, great turnaround, um, way to show up and, and, and battle it out. And for Summersworth, yeah, you don't, you don't get a whole lot of repeat opportunities. Um, there's a special one to get to in a row. Yeah. Especially not, I mean, in football, it's, it's, it's rare. I feel more rare than other sports. Um, you know, unless you've just got a, a pipeline of kids coming through, um, that are just, you know, that talented, uh, you know, because it's very, I mean, you don't, you very rarely see freshmen and sophomores uh, contributing, even at the smaller school level. And if you do, it's not usually good news. Um, and, you know, I, I, of course, Summersworth is going to lose, you know, some of its key guys, in, including DeCorn uh, and Lambert. Um, you know, those two guys have been kind of the key uh, standouts from the last two years. But, uh, you know, they've got a nice mix, it looks like, of juniors coming back, potentially coming back, and, and Newport, I believe, too, is, uh, you know, a, a nice mix as well. And, and certainly both those programs have, uh, you know, been, been established um, over the years that, that I would expect, you know, potentially those are your favorites going into next year, too. Yeah, it's interesting, Coach proper uh, of Newport ha- had an interesting quote in one of the articles that I read. He said, you know, it, it's sort of Summerworth and Newport and the, the article described him as holding his hand up high to indicate a level. And he said, everybody else is kind of here. Yeah. And as much as that may sound like, you know, kind of an interesting comment, it's true. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he's not messing yeah. around. Um, it, it's, it's been true. I mean, yeah, there have been other contenders, um, and challengers, but in terms of the class of the division, that's certainly what has shown up. You know, I think the the big question will be, like you've said, right? What what are they bringing back? Can they reload? And what are some of these other teams going to do in the off season to close that gap a little bit? I think there's some other teams in that division that absolutely have the ability to close close the gap. It's it's a question of you know, how well were their off seasons go, you know, can you get maybe three or four other kids from the hallways out to play? Um, because there are some other good teams there, but it's, I, I just think Newport and Summersworth have separated themselves from the pack. It's really been the last three or four years. Right. Yeah. I think what, what, you know, what, what that quote you're talking about there, you know, he's just trying to say, I mean, you look, you look at it, neither of these teams, this was the only one score game that they played all year. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think there was a an arrogance to it or anything. I, th- I think no. it was it was just talking about the level of competition that they'd faced this year, um, and and I think he was right, you know, to say, hey, you know, this was this was a heck of a battle, and uh, it was the two best teams that that it came down to, and you wouldn't want it to end any other way. Right. All right. Well, yeah. Congrats to uh, the Hilltoppers on uh, on their second straight uh, championship, and and Newport on getting to the final. Um, what do you say we move uh, move back up to the to Division One and, and talk about some quarterfinal games that were frankly I, I just I I don't know if, I don't want to say bonkers but maybe they were <laughs> maybe they were a little bonkers um, yeah you know because we had some we had a pair of upsets um, we had a game that came right down to the wire and then another game that um, you know maybe on paper um, looks a little bit different than what actually happened there. Uh, let's let's start with that one, and, and we'll give that one a rundown. That Londonderry Merrimack game, where where Londonderry comes away with a twenty-one to seven win. I think we might have talked last week about, you know, Merrimack's best chances might be to kind of uh, shorten the game a little bit, uh, maybe do a little bit of what they did with with against Bedford, and, and just keep feeding the ball to Romello Hyde. Uh, they did that to, for the most part. He had 36 carries, 174 yards, and the lone touchdown for the Tomahawks. But it was really in other phases that that they uh, they lost that game, right? Yeah, I, I I would say, and I watched that game. I watched it very carefully. I would say it was a pretty simple story. It was Merrimack executed their game plan almost perfectly on offense. They had a couple of turnovers. 
Um, not necessarily turnovers that I, I blame them for. I think there were there were situations where they were trying to, you know, get a big play, and um, you know that there was a a pick that uh, Trent Jackson threw maybe or what have you. But certainly executing the the game plan in terms of ball control and physicality um, on offense, defense they were lights out. I mean, I, I'm not sure how many first downs Londonderry had in the first half. But it, it was not many. Um, they ended up really stifling Londonderry to the point where I don't think Londonderry's been put in that situation all year. So they executed a very, very good game plan uh, on defense as well. It, it really came down to special teams. Um, you know, Londonderry took the opening kickoff uh, using what you might call a starburst return or, or what we used to call a dealer return, which is sort of a tricky, you know, somebody catches the ball right. and brings it back and a little cluster of, of uh, three to four guys, there's sort of some exchanges that happen in there. Um, and, you know, it's something that I'm quite sure Merrimack would have prepared for, but it just, it, you know, Andrew Coleman took that ball 90 yards, the opening kickoff for a touchdown and set a tone, um, you know, Again, special teams number one. And Londonderry stole two possessions on sort of, you know, I, I wouldn't call it a, a, a pooch kick or anything like that, but sort of these little pop-ups to the second level uh, where Merrimack just wasn't able to get a handle on the ball. And that's a live ball once it goes 10 yards, obviously. It's not quite an onside kick because it's not that bouncer. It's more of a pop fly they were kicking. And t- if I'm not mistaken, twice, Londonderry recovered that and stole a couple possessions from Merrimack, and you know you figure it's a it's a it's a two two score game. Right. The difference. I, I don't know that they scored on those two drives in particular. I don't remember that exactly, but uh, it was specials. It just goes to show how important that phase of the game is at this you know at at this point in the in the postseason. Well, here you go. I, I did uh, did find some numbers from this one. Um... I guess uh, Merrimack had 280 yards on offense to 129 for Londonderry. Uh, Tomahawks ran 71 plays, uh, 34 more than than Londonderry. Merrimack was uh, 10 of 16 on third down and had a 20 to 8 edge in first downs. Yeah, that's just I I mean those are the those kind of numbers you probably nine times out of ten expect to win games. But against a team like Londonder, I mean, you talk about their special teams, and and that's just they put so much emphasis, I think, on on special teams that it doesn't surprise me to hear that that's maybe where they won the game. Yeah, and and again, right? You, I I don't think that uh, I don't think Merrimack de-emphasizes special teams. Oh no, right? But it came right. down to just these single points of execution that didn't go well, and it went Londonderry's way. And again, right, you talk about those numbers, you talk about holding uh, Drew Heenan to, I think he was one of six in the air. Um, and they've got a pretty potent balanced attack, right? I know that they get their work done on the ground, but they can throw the ball, no question. Heenan was held to 44 yards passing, one of six. And they bottled him up pretty good on the ground as well. I don't have his individual rushing statistics. He, he was able to get a couple good runs, but, I mean, he's a dynamic player. Um it's got to be heartbreaking for Merrimack, and it's going to be a massive sigh of relief for Londonderry. Um, in fact, in such a way that I would say, yeah, you got to be a little frustrated with an ugly win. Um, but the flip side of that is got to be, if you're Coach Lozen, you got to be telling those guys, hey, we're battle-tested now. You, know, you went out there, we got kind of dominated in almost every phase of the game, except for the one place where it counted was on the scoreboard, and we survived it. So, you know, big confidence booster, um, big wake-up call. Those things are important going into a, a game of the significance that we're about to play oh, here next yeah. week uh, against Pinkerton. I was just going to say they, they better not – that sigh of relief better not last too long. Uh, no. You know, because, again, yeah, they've got, uh, they've got Pinkerton coming in, um, you know, in a game that um, – it's been it, we we talked for years about how you know Pinkerton was dominating that series, uh, beating Londonderry for like twenty years or so straight, and now it's been Londonderry's uh, series to dominate for the last couple of years, a- including in the regular season this year. Uh, you know that game 
was uh, I want to say what the last or late September, and and Londonderry dominated that game thirty-one to six was the final. Um, you know, I think Pinkerton's taken a quite some strides since then. Um, you know, that game on on Friday against Bishop Girton was, um, you know, their defense, Pinkerton's defense was, you know, as good as any I think against uh, the Cardinals. They get out. Pinkerton gets out to a fourteen nothing lead really early. Um, you know, they score on an eighty seven yard touchdown run by uh, Matt Morrison in the first quarter. And then Cole Yanako gets a six-yard touchdown run in the second quarter. It's 14 to nothing. Uh, BG comes back and makes it 14 to six before halftime. Um, you know, but it was one of those. You talk about time of possession, and and that was actually fairly even uh, on the day. But both teams just their drives were so methodical that it, it had the feel of one of those like you know what we're we're not going to have enough opportunities to score here. And yeah. Um, and that clearly, um, you know, that kind of was what it was. You know, the the Cardinals had a drive in the second half, 14 plays, 78 yards, that took up almost seven minutes. And it really looked like, you know, they needed to score on that drive. And Pinkerton's defense came up with a stop at their two-yard line, you know, to keep it a 14-6 a to six game. Uh, and they just they couldn't get a first down. They had to punt the ball back. BG took over at the Pinkerton 29, um, you know, and ended up scoring on a, on a fourth down play that really, when I saw it happen live, I was like, what is good? Like, um, you know, Matt Sanaswaso uh, got the snap and, and I think almost immediately was under pressure. And it looked to me at first, like he was just throwing the ball up. Uh, and then out of nowhere comes Ronan Balistrieri and, and makes a catch and fights off a couple tackles to get into the end zone. Um, you know, and, and the Cardinals celebrated, but it didn't, didn't last long as, um, you know, they tried to run a pitch play for the two point conversion, uh, Patrick Walden from Pinkerton, who had a, a really good game defensively. He made a couple of big plays, none bigger yes. than this one where he stopped Bellavance short, uh, to keep it 14 to 12. And then what, what I think went unnoticed, um, uh, because I, there was just so much that went on in that game, BG almost got the onside kick back. They um they did kind of like a, a huddle around um you know just behind the ball at midfield uh, right before Connor Lennon kicked it off and you know unless you're sitting there counting on all the guys you think everybody's there they had uh, Cody Szymanski off to the side off to the sideline you know just in, on the field of play so he looked like he wasn't in the play Lennon right. turned around and, and kind of quick kicked the ball towards the sideline and. No one from Pinkerton was going after it. Says Mansky made a diving attempt to to grab it at like 15 yards, so it was a live ball, and the ball just hit off his face face mask and and rolled away from him. And Pinkerton recovered. Um, just you know, if he's able to get a hand on that and, and corral it, then um, you know we might be talking about a completely different game. You know, I I, I remember seeing that. I watched it on um, FNL New Hampshire. Uh, the streaming on on right. on YouTube, and um, you know they didn't have a great angle of it, if I remember correctly. But I remember seeing that, and I remember thinking to myself, I, you know, and again, this just shows I, I'm I'm a few years out of pocket. But I thought that that kind of a kickoff had been made illegal some time ago because there were some rules about you had to have a certain amount of guys on each side of the ball. Um, but maybe they did that with their with the, with the way with the that huddle. they sort of huddled up. And, and I honestly don't know. Yeah, I can't remember either. I, I should be able to, um, or maybe they changed it back or something like that. But I remember thinking to myself, wow, you know, because teams used to do things like that when I coached, and I thought that after I had left coaching, they had changed some of the special teams rules, uh, you know, again, kind of going to concussion safety and things like that. But uh, it, was a, it was a pretty well-conceived little scheme, though, and obviously not illegal because it wasn't flagged, and I'm sure Coach Trishiani would have would have, you know, checked on that before they would have tried something like that in such an important game but uh (laughs) but um but i remember being surprised by that and thinking wow that's a that's a creative little scheme um but you're right that one that one play might have made a difference if it had been successful um given how close that game was and 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 you're also absolutely right in that it was one of those games you know there's not many football games and i'm talking about nfl college whatever where you you get very early on this field that every single drive is critical Right. 
right? And you're really hanging on the edge of your seat with, okay, you know, like this drive they have to score, and if, if they if, if these other guys don't stop them or whatever it is, right? It's it's every drive you're sort of there, play by play, um, and it was one of those type of games. Absolutely, yeah. I I mean, it, it just yeah, it had that feel almost from the beginning too. Yeah, right out of the gate, and I think. I think there were some tone setters right out of the out of the gate that were important, right? I mean, the big run by um, by Morrison, um, you know, always puts that that element into it. Like, wow, they can score from anywhere on the field. So, you know, we have to be able to respond. Um, and I just think it, it it ramps up the sense of urgency when you get one of those big runs early on. But, you know, speaking of Morrison, I, I do think that's one of the big differences. You know, we were talking about the Londonderry-Pinkerton matchup. I think that's one of the big differences now for Pinkerton is the emergence of Morrison, who's only a sophomore, I think. You're right, he is, yeah. He's a, a sophomore, and, and you know I like to highlight these guys. He's a pretty good lacrosse player, too. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I had heard that. And um, I, you know, everybody knows who Jake Albert is. Right. And... Yanako is uh, an absolute bowling ball, tackle to tackle. Um, but now you have that third dimension where you can get that guy run the counter or the little belly sweep that they like to run where they fake it to Yanako up inside and then get it to Morrison and Albert out on the perimeter. You can't overload on one guy. Right. And that makes them very, very deadly, I think. And, and, and you know, we've also talked a lot about Pinkerton's offensive line. They've come a long way. Um the defense, like you said, played lights out, got a huge game from Waldron, among others, I think. Um, you know, and, and that was against a BG team who was as healthy and as ready yeah. as they've been all season. Yeah, that was the healthiest I think they've been since, like, week three. Um, right. You know, you, you highlighted, too, a couple weeks ago that, that Pinkerton's offensive line has gotten much better since that early stretch of the season. Um, so yes. yeah, those two things I, I think might could play a, a big difference, you know, in this game uh, coming up ne- um, on Saturday between uh, t- between Pinkerton and Londonderry. Yeah, particularly when you think about how physical Merrimack was able to be up front with Londonderry, right? That was something that Pinkerton back in September was just not able to establish. Um, Londonderry really dominated them up front. You know, you, you saw what Merrimack was able to do on both sides of the ball. Um, up front against Londonderry. If Pinkerton's progression in the trenches has come along similar to what um, you saw from Merrimack last week, I, I think that gap is going to be closed considerably, that it's going to give us a really, really good matchup here. Well, that game is uh, Saturday at 1. Uh, the other semifinal, as we mentioned, was uh, will be Bedford and Timberlane. That's been moved to Friday night uh, at 7. And, uh, and, and you know, Bedford... Uh, you know, we wondered what might happen to them uh, after that that regular season loss to Merrimack dropped them all the way to the the ten seed. You know, they had been, um, you know, a team that that played really good defense all year had 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 some good offensive games, but some struggles here and there offensively. Uh, and you know, here they are, the ten seed, and they are now in the semifinals. Uh, they they had their what sixth shutout of the season. Uh, in that quarterfinal game against Nashua North and, and second in the playoffs. They, they haven't given up a point yet in the playoffs uh, right. after that 7 nothing win over uh, over Nashua North. Uh, of course, um, you know, North uh, had some unfortunate injuries in that game. Uh, quarterback Derek Finlay goes down with an injury in the first half, and I think he yeah. came back and tried to play in the second half um, and just wasn't really able to go. Um you know, so you know he's in and out. They, um, I think they had another injury too to one of their running backs, but I'm not remembering off the which one off the top of my head. But I mean, they're you know defensively they they did their job. You know, they gave up the one touchdown, um, you know, to uh, Danny Black to to Colby Snow in that first quarter. They held Bedford to 205 yards on, on offense, yeah. uh, but they turned the ball over four times. So I mean that's um, you know that it's tough to win games when you do that, especially when um, you know when you get a couple of guys out there in a big spot that maybe aren't used to being in that spot. Yeah, it's tough to win any time 
when you turn the ball over that often, or, or maybe I should say better, your turnover differential is is, is significant. Right. Um, even harder when your dynamic signal caller is not going to be in the game. Um, and, and I doubt that Nashua North would make that excuse and say, hey, you know, well, we didn't have our quarterback for the second half or whatever it might be. But it's a big deal when you put those things together and, and, and you put not only those things together, but the fact that, like you said, Bedford probably in a very motivated state of mind, again, you know, kind of having been tenderized a little bit by Merrimack a few weeks ago, uh, that really seemed like it was a wake-up call for the Bulldogs' defense, and they have been just lights out since that moment. Yeah, um, and now here they are in the uh, the semifinals um, against a, a Timberlane team that, um, you know, I, I, I think we, we thought they would be good coming back up from D2, uh, fresh off a, uh, a D2 championship a year ago, but we didn't really know, I don't think we knew how good. Uh, turns out uh, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, doing what they did against Exeter at Exeter, uh, I know they beat them during the regular season, but playoffs is, is a different animal, uh, especially being down 28-14 with, what, I think like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter um, to come back not only to... to to score twice to potentially tie the game, but to call for a two-point play with 38 seconds left to win the game. Uh, I mean, I, I've you know I've seen stuff like that in the regular season um, playoffs. You know, I don't think there's a lot of coaches that would have done that. And uh, and and it's, I mean, hats off to to Kevin Fitzgerald and and his coaching staff that, that called that uh, for that. Um, but just a, an incredible comeback and, and really uh, exciting to see Timberlane in this spot again. Yeah, I, a, a couple things. One, on the, on the, on the infamous call, right? Uh, or I should say famous, right? It would have been infamous <laughs> if it hadn't worked. Uh, inf- infamous to Exeter, for, uh, folks. Yes. <laughs> but I think it's 100% the right call, and I'd be saying that if, if they had lost, if it hadn't worked. That doesn't mean, by the way, that it's an easy call to make or that most coaches would have made it. But I do think that Fitzgerald made the right call there because, you know, the format for overtime in, in the NHIAA, right, yeah. you know, kind of puts you in a 10-yard in a fight situation. Um, it very much favors Exeter. And, and I yes, think yeah. You, you I mean, not that. to say that, that uh, Timberlane doesn't have a good running offense. Obviously, they do, but... That type of scenario where you're playing on a shorter field and it, it, it limits your space a little bit, you know, it's, it's kind of like the college rules, except you start from the 10 as opposed to the 25 or the 30 or wherever they start from in college. 25, which, I mean, which is a lot. I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but that makes a huge difference. Huge difference in terms of what's open to you, what you can use vertically. And just the fact you can, um, you so can get a first I down. I absolutely applaud, uh, and I absolutely applaud the call. Um, the other thing that's kind of amazing about this this Timberlane team is if you think about some of the the statistics from you know it almost harkens to the Merrimack Londonderry game. If you looked at the statistics for Exeter, they ran 67 plays to 33 plays uh, from Timberlane. They had 340 yards of offense. Uh, 260 of those they got through the running game. No penalties, no turnovers, <laughs> and they lost. And yet the game. somehow by sheer will and magic and just guts and whatever else you want to call it <laughs> on the road, wow. Timberlane pulls that win out in the, in the, with 37.8 seconds on the clock. I mean, when in a million years would you have read those stats knowing where the game was being played and all those other things, you know, t- uh, again, Timberlane's first year back up in D one and said, oh, yeah, you know, that, that makes sense that Timberlane won that game. <laughs> uh, incredible. Yeah. I, you know, incredible. To, to go back to the 2.2, I mean, the other the other part of that is, too, is that Timberlane's kicker, uh, Harrison Bloom, is really good. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, so you, you look at that, and you got to think that the extra point is almost automatic, too. So, right. you know, to, to not just throw him out there and, and have him kick, to, to still go for that. I mean, it's, yeah, you're exactly right that it's it it's not... Um, Exeter is going to always have an advantage in that overtime situation just because of the way they play. Um, 
so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the right, probably the right call, but a huge call to make. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, you got to wonder whether the story of that last drive gave them the confidence to do it. It was, it, it, it was an 86 yard drive on paper, but it actually ended up being because of two penalties. Right, they had it two, ended up yeah, being a 114 holds. yard <laughs> drive that they had to actually go on because they had two holding penalties. And you know, how uh, much did those that, help them to run out the clock? You know, yeah, that, that good point, have, right? Have yeah. Those penalties that they then have to, all right, we got to do this over again. But here, you know, we just knocked a few seconds off the clock. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 it created a little bit more work, but also a little bit less time for Exeter. Um, yeah, it just ends up being a, a, a heck of a, of a football game, right? It was, um, a huge effort, I think, from the Timberlane defense, uh, you know, to shine at just the right times. The Timberlane offensive line was obviously very good, especially on that last drive in this one. Dom Capetta um, was the highlight of the show at the end of the game. I mean, just a, just a, you know, an, an instant classic, really. And, and I think a little bit of Timberlane playing with a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. You know, you've got to figure – you, you know, you know that there's people rumbling in the in the football community about, oh, you know, must be nice to drop down to Division Two and win a championship, uh, you know, blah 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 blah. Okay, you know, and and I'm sure that uh, I'm I'm sure that they heard some of that, and I'm sure that that motivated them coming into this season, coming into this game. You got a little chip on your shoulder. You've got something you want to prove, and um, that can that can you know as much as like the weight room and speed and conditioning and all those things factor into these kind of wins. Sometimes that emotional motivation is just as big a factor. So good on them if they let that burn at just the right level. And, and, and it's great to see Capetta in this spot too. You know, he, he was hurt last year uh, in the second half of the year and missed out on the playoffs and the championship game. Um, You know, so for him to come back and, and play the way he's playing, I mean, those, those deep balls that he threw to uh, to Jaden Mwangi, I, I mean, those were like yeah. high level throws, catches, just situations. I, I mean, those having that extra um, dynamic to your offense at this level is so makes such a difference. And I'm 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 really excited to see how that they go up against Bedford's defense. Um, I, I think that's going to be a great matchup this week. Yeah, you know, on paper, I, I always thought that Timberlane and and North had similar personnel. Yeah, and and kind of went about their business in a similar way. But like you said, hey, you know, uh, there's there's a little bit of a different momentum right now with Timberlane coming off this win. Um, it, it, and and by the way, that obviously that that North um, Bedford game was very very close. So you you'd think that that would indicate. Uh, another really good football game coming up here this weekend. Yeah, so that'll be uh, Bedford and Timberlane Friday at 7. Uh, Pinkerton Londonderry will play in the other semifinal at 1 on Saturday. Uh, and then the other game um, this Saturday, the D2 championship game. Uh, let's uh, let's delve into that and how the teams got there. Uh, you had the one semifinal with, with Pelham uh, beating Bo 28-7, uh, which... You know, we, you said last week um, that game a matchup of two teams that are going to come out and just kind of smash each other, and then the other one, uh, Sowhegan and Guilford Belmont, a little more uh, potential for up and down play, uh, some big plays there. What did um, you you said you you watched uh, that Pelham Bow game on on film? What did you see from that one? You know, even though it was teams of different styles, then than what I had seen the first time of Pelham, which was Pelham against Sauhegan. Um, and obviously Sauhegan's a much more wide open, um, you know, rely on the passing game type offense. Although, although we'll get into that a little bit too, when we talk about that, that game against Guilford, really what I think maybe not overlooked isn't the right word, but I, I think what hasn't been given enough emphasis this year has been Pelham's defense. And that's really what stood out to me uh, the most, you know, they, they took a very good grinded out, um, bow offense and basically limited them to 
I don't think it was much over 100 yards. I, I think I think they had 44 yards rushing on the day. Wow. Uh, if I remember correctly. I mean, and, and it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we've got a guy tackling a guy behind the line of scrimmage or something like that. It was three, four, five guys gang tackling the bow running backs on almost every carry. Um, just relentless pursuit. Nobody was content on Pelham's defense to let one or two guys make a tackle. You know, everybody wanted to get in on it. Um, and and it was it was a dominating defensive performance, really. Uh, I, I think they had, you know, another 60-something yards through the air, and, and, and some of that came on one big chunk, if I remember correctly. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was almost a perfect performance by the Pelham defense. Um, and then offensively, they were Pelham, right? They, they leaned uh, really heavily on the run game. They had another big game from one of my favorite players in the state, who's Ethan Demons. Um, doesn't sound like a big game. He had 16 carries for 124 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> that sounds like a big game. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but I mean, we've talked about guys with the, you know the 200 yards yeah. rushing, and the, you know, and you'd say, oh, well, that, you know, but yeah, certainly a big, and it was a big game the way he got it done, right? I mean, he he really just took the heart out of that bow defense. Um, you know, a pretty big bow defense from what I saw. They're big up front. Uh, with their with their down linemen, they have a good sized linebackers, but they were just able to take Demons, who's a big running back, big fullback, and and just pound him guard to guard, um, which is pretty much what they did against Sauhegan, quite frankly, when I saw them, uh, you know, whatever it was, three or four weeks ago. I was going to say, considering the number of of uh, offensive weapons that Pelham has for for one of their guys to carry that many times and have that many yards. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big game. Yeah, no, I agree. And and they did get they did get work from some of the other guys. I'm trying to um I think Alex Carroll had 62 yards on 11 carries. He's one of the halfbacks. Um but but really their their plan of attack when it came down to okay, we have critical yards we need to get or it's a critical situation was demonstrate at them. Um, but it's nice to have those other guys there that complement him a little bit, right? You can't just pack the middle because you know that one of these other weapons can hurt you really easily if you do that, and, and I think that's part of what makes them so good. So Pelham will go for uh, its third straight championship, uh, again, first back in Division Two, a little bit like uh, Timberlane uh, moving back up and, and trying to, uh, to win another title at, the high, at a higher level or higher division. Uh, and they will play Sauhegan, which uh, again came out with um, you know one of the more uh, maybe not quite as down to the wire as 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 uh, Timberlane's win, but uh, another 29-28 win where uh, the Sabers decide to go for a two point conversion after their third touchdown, uh, and uh, and they're able to uh, come back from a, a 28-14 deficit of their own. And get back to the final uh, for the second time in, in three years, and, and again looking for another championship, their second championship in, in as many in three years, I should say. Um, just uh, a, quite the turnaround, and and I think this is going to be quite the final too, given what they did in the regular season. Yeah, I I I got to see that game uh, as well, and, and you might say, how did you do all that? I, I have my ways. <laughs> Um, but between all these different outlets yeah no I couldn't be in two places at once but um, I'll tell you what that was a really interesting game you know you had said on the show last week how you thought it would be interesting to see how Sauhegan's defense would measure up with the run game of Guilford Belmont I know they obviously have Isaiah Reese I I forget the name of the running back that they have there we talked about him last Uh, week Michael, Michael Keto Yes, yeah, thank you, Keto. And, um, and and I had said, geez, you know, I don't know if it's the same deal because, um, you know, Guilford's sort of a little bit more spread out and, and they don't sort of line up with all these heavier bodies or two backs in the backfield as much and things like that. Well, that's exactly what they ended up doing. They they, they were still in the in the gun, but they ran with tight end and multiple backs in the backfield and – uh, even at times got under center, and they put Isaiah Reese at tailback in the I formation, which I thought was really interesting. That's a little twist. Yeah. Um, not that I've seen Guilford a, a ton of times this year, but um, 
you know, that was something you don't expect to see is Reese playing running back. Um, and they would just kind of run counters and, and powers with him. Um, and, and that game plan worked pretty well for Guilford Belmont. I mean, they, they were still able to be very physical with Sauhegan up front. Um, but I thought Sauhegan had a really interesting game plan. You know, they were sort of spying Isaiah Reese a little bit with, um, with Maddox McGrath, who I think is one of the best football players in the state, quite honestly. Um, so they were working to shut him down as best they could. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's what the story of Sauhegan's been all year, which is, can you stop their offense? And Guilford had a pretty good beat on them for a while. Um, but then J.J. Bright happened, uh, and I think he busted out an 85- or 86-yard run um, that might have been the go-ahead. I, I can't remember whether it was or not, but honestly, Joe, Guilford really didn't have an answer for Bright yeah. outside. Yeah, um, it looks like he had, what, 235 yards and two touchdowns? Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it, and it looked like 235 yards. Right? Like Sometimes <laughs> you get those stats, you're like, whoa, you know, I didn't realize he ran that many yards. He was just unstoppable. And, again, Sauhe- I thought Sauhegan's offensive game plan was, was, was really good. You know, they, they, they would motion a receiver across the formation, and two or three Guilford Belmont defenders would react to that. And so they were able to just motion one way and get Bright going the other way, either on a, a counter or even a toss sweep of sorts. Um, and it just caught a couple few of those players just just a yard or two out of position to play contain. And I remember being an offensive coach and saying, oh, my, one of my rules of thumb was, if I can move one guy and you're going to move more than one guy to adjust to that, I'm going to move that guy, that guy all day long. And it, it's sort of like that's what Coach Bauquette saw and was doing was, hey, every time we motion a receiver, you know, they're sort of cheating in on it a little bit. And I, I just think it made Bright's job just a little bit easier because um, he had a day out there. Romy Jane had a day. Um, it, it was a good game. And Bright had probably the uh, – the, well, he had the conversion to, to, to give, uh, you know, Sauhegan that extra point in kind of a, one of those situations where – you know they it, it, they might have not gone for two if not for a uh, offside or an encroachment penalty on Guilford Belmont uh, on the extra exactly. point. You know they they scored. I think Jane scored on a, a keeper uh, yep. late late in the third quarter, made it twenty eight twenty with the point pending, and then Guilford Belmont was called for encroachment, moved the ball closer. Um, you know, watching the video, then then there was like another flag that came out. Um, and they stopped the play, and then the officials talked, and then I, I don't know, maybe it was off the camera, but you couldn't off the you know for the screen, and you couldn't see if they waved it off. But then all of a sudden they're they're lining up to run the play again with nothing happening. Um, right. So it wasn't too sure what was going on there, and then um, Bright scores on a, a a sweep to get the two points, make it twenty eight twenty two. So then when he scored again in the fourth quarter, they kick the extra point and go up. 29-28 with I think a little more than three minutes to go. Um, yeah, just a, a, a crazy, crazy pair of comebacks there by by Timberlane and Sauhegan, and and just I think interesting that they both end up with the same final score and and you know going on the road to beat um, you know a, couple, a pair of pretty good football teams to move on. They were um, were they both come from behind wins too? Yeah, yeah, they were both. Exeter was up twenty eight fourteen in the the fourth quarter and, and Guilford Belmont led 28, 14 at halftime. Yep. Yeah. You know, you, I always believe that a football game is the sum of every single play. Right. And, and, and I always used to say that when I coached, Hey, you can't blame the game on this penalty or that interception or whatever. Right. Because there was, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that happens in a game that leads to the final result. But, Absolutely. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta look at that something as simple as that penalty on the PAT that caused Sauhegan to say, hey, you know what? We've got a yard and a half as opposed to three yards to go here. Let's line up and see if we can bang one in. Um, and that was the difference in the ball game. So it, it really does emphasize how important every single play can be when it comes this time of year. Well, that sets up a... Uh 
a, a, what should be a really good championship game. I think I might have said that once or twice already, but um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it just um, you know that back and forth nature of that regular season game between Sauhegan and Pelham. Um, you know, they they're playing over at Bedford on Saturday at one o'clock. Um, you know, and the way that place fills up uh, for for playoff games, uh, you might have to get there at like eleven. <laughs> You know, yeah. Just to make sure you're in and and you got a spot, um, but I mean, I mean, I I think that's probably what we can expect again, right? Just another game that that maybe whoever has the ball last ends up winning. I hope so. You know, again, that last matchup was my assessment of that was it really was kind of one of those nail biters, like we were talking about the Pinkerton BG game, where it was like every play, every drive mattered, and and you looked at Sauhegan and you were saying they could score from anywhere on the field because they had, they had proven they could do that. I think they had hit McGrath very early, early on in that game um, for a long touchdown. If I'm thinking of the right game, I, I know I've seen Sauhegan a couple few times this year, but, um, and then, and then the opposite was with Pelham. They might go on a 10 minute drive. In fact, I think they went on an 11 and a half minute drive at one point Um <laughs> in the first quarter in that, in that earlier matchup. And, and so it's that quick strike can score from anywhere on the field type of feeling to, we might not get the ball for a quarter if we, if we have to punt. Um, and, and, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting in this story is we talked a little bit about the, the speculation around Timberlane, maybe playing with a chip on their shoulder. I think you can be assured that Pelham's playing with a chip on their shoulder. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. In, the, in similar circumstances to Timberlane, right? Uh, you know, there, there was a there was a tweet from Pelham Athletics that I, I thought was really really cool and really interesting. Um, said so, and it said something to the effect of a lot of people told us we'd struggle moving up into the division. Well, here we are again. <laughs> and again, I was kind of like, hey, you know what? Good for you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Honestly, good for you that you're in this position and and people doubted you and uh, you know as a team. Um, and and you're, you've put yourself in position where I think again, the two best teams uh, in Division Two are about to face off again. Yeah, really looking forward to that one. Um, that's my my plan is to be there on Saturday, uh, and and hopefully get over to Timberlane on Friday. Um, yep. Really excited that that game got moved. Just um, this uh, having games kick off all at the same time in different places is um, well. Well, we'll get into that on in our wrap-up show. Um, yeah, I don't want to. I'll save that rant for another day. <laughs> um, but any other any other thoughts on on this past weekend or the one coming up before we uh, we finish up for the night? No, I think if what we've got coming up is anywhere near as good as what we had this past Friday and Saturday, uh, with the intensity ramped up because you got a, a championship game, you've got right. uh, semifinals with Division One. Uh, you know we're that closer to the prize now. Um, I, I think it's going to be really, really good football this weekend. Maybe the this may be this may represent the best playoff football we've seen in New Hampshire in a long time. Again, in terms of just the competitiveness and the storyline, so I'm really excited. Yeah, as am I. I uh, really hope that is the case. Definitely uh, would love to see a few more uh, down to the wire games here. Um, at, you know, as we come to an end. Um, yeah, really looking forward to this weekend. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, he is Mike Lockman. Mike, thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I'm Joe Marcellina. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend, and we will talk to you next week.